time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in flesh. You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian, Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour. I told you it was going to be kind of a packed one with uh, multiple authors, and uh, joining me this hour is a um, the go-to story expert who helps authors, speakers, and entrepreneurs impact millions with their stories. She is a TEDx speaker, multiple best-selling author, and founder of Wealth through stories. Her mission is to impact a million people a year through stories. She has a new book that tells you how to do that called Transform Your Story, Letting Go of the Past When It Won't Let Go of You. I'm talking about author Linda Olson, who joins me by phone. Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Um, When you say story, do you mean somebody's personal story, their their own personal narrative. I come from a family of storytellers, and uh, they they loved to tell stories about various people and adventures and things that happened to them in their lives, but were sometimes very private about personal things. Yes, I too come from a, a family of storytellers, and my dad particularly was a big storyteller. <laughs> so stories can be, as you know, about a variety of things. Story is basically an experience that we share with someone, and often it's a lot harder to share about our our very personal stories, but uh, that is um, essentially what I focus on are the personal stories, but we can also tell all kinds of stories, certainly. Why is it important to share your personal story? You know, a story is, um, our personal story is the best way to connect with someone. It's also the number one way that we can impact or influence someone And when we share something personal, it is a way that someone else gets to experience us in the same way that's how we get to experience them when they share something personal. And and is it 
is it wise to just just come out and and share information or to let people draw some of that out of you well absolutely the latter to let someone draw you know draw it out of you the wisest thing is for you to actually first draw it out of them because that is showing an interest in them and it's uh, the best thing you can do is listen, ask questions, to draw it out of them and listen. And as you do that, they will want to know about you as well and very naturally will begin drawing it out of you. Are there are there specific uh, kinds of questions that we should ask when drawing out someone's story? Typically, and and conversationally, it starts out with, you know, who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? There are these sort sort of standard interrog. Uh, I was going to say uh, interrogatives, uh, but but the typical questions we ask of people as as we want to get to know them better. Yes, and so we can take that, you know, start with that, especially if it's somebody we don't know, often at a network um, meeting, we, we'll just, uh, you know, we'll ask, and so what do you do? And someone shares a little bit, and then we can, we can just say, well, tell me a little bit more about that. And, uh, and then we can get into something a little more specific as they share a little bit more, and... Uh, you know, wow, that sounds like uh, an incredible business. How long have you been in that business? Or whatever it may be. And then ask them, if you want to take them a little deeper, you can just ask them, what, you know, so this year, this is a big year, uh, a challenging year for many people. What is the most challenging thing for you right now? And that's when they'll start going a little bit deeper and begin walking into perhaps the problem or the pain that they're facing now. And that will allow them, like I said, to go a little bit deeper. And you can ask, you know, if there's one thing that you could turn around this year, one thing that you could change, what would that be? And, and again, that just takes them a little bit deeper, a little more personal. And, and you'll know then even as you're speaking with them, are you offering something that could uh, serve them? Or do you know of someone that could possibly serve them? And, and again, it's a, just a deeper way of connecting. Is there a, a way, a, a certain judgment to be used as to how much to share and, and when to share it. And, and I'll set this up a little bit for you, Linda, because I've seen this happen many times. A conversation is happening with a group of people in a network situation or some other social situation, a, a bar or a party or a, a, an event at work or something. And everybody's talking very superficially. And then all of a sudden, somebody drops a bomb. Like, you know, I was an abused spouse or you know an abused child or or something to that effect and and there's just this lull that happens over the conversation do you know what i mean 
Yes, I do. <laughs> and I don't mean to make light of it because very often it's something very painful for the person who's sharing. But it's just it just feels like the wrong time to share that information. And often it is, and you can't help but wonder why the individual has shared that at at this time. Sometimes it could be um, an attention-seeking method where they just kind of do that. Sometimes they're really hurting and they, um, you know, it's like it's really awkward, but they don't know what to say and what to do. And so the question is then, what do we do about that if somebody, you know, drops a bomb like that? And yeah, as as part of the group, um, as a listener and, and receiving that information, is there something that, that can and should be done to sort of pull the spotlight away from that person a little bit and put others in, you know, earshot of the conversation a little more at ease and, and still continue to be open and communicative? I think you can, depending on the situation, and maybe if it's a large group where you're, you know, standing or sitting in that group. Um, but even, even just to say, you know, I, I'm so sorry that happened. Um, is, there, is there something particular that you wanted to share about that? Or what, you know, uh, those are tough situations coming from that. So you're giving them some level of compassion and not just ignoring them, but at the same time you want to take the conversation back to something positive. And uh, can, you, can you tell me one, one positive thing that you learned from that? And it will be very interesting to see where, where that individual would go with it. Because if he really wants to learn and uh, be a part of this conversation, he will participate in this. And if it's basically attention-seeking, chances are he'll go down this negative trail. And, you know, um, you know then we can say, you know, this, this is something really important to talk about. I'm not sure this is the best place to share this with, and and if you're open uh, to a lengthier conversation, so you know what, I really would like to hear more about that and either step aside with that person at the time, maybe just exchange, give them your business card, say, you know what, give me a call. I really would like to hear more about that. Um, so it, it, those, are, those are definitely awkward kind of situations, but I think there are ways of uh, still giving that person, you know, not ignoring them, uh, but addressing their need, finding out where they're coming from. Or is it that if this is by the bar and they've just had too much to drink and now, you know, they're ruining the whole group. um, (laughs) Being a Debbie Downer. Yeah, (laughs) right. Now, I mentioned in the introduction, and we just have a few minutes before before a break, but, but I thought we could tackle this in the next three or four minutes. Um, 
that you are the go-to story expert who helps authors, speakers, and entrepreneurs impact millions with their story. I would think that that particular group, authors, speakers, and entrepreneurs, would have honed their story pretty well. Well, you would think so. But it's interesting because as I have worked with thousands over the years, um, it's really a small percentage that have honed in their story. They know it's important. They, they, for the most part, just don't know how to do it. And sometimes some simple tools, some, it's a skill like anything else. It's learning a skill. And um, I worked with a professional uh, international speaker and had a credible story and he told it well, but he says, I've never known how to take my story to less than 30, 20 to 30 minutes. And you're telling me that the best thing you can do is hone your story into two minutes, two or three minutes. And so he hired me because he said, I want to know how to do that. And, and uh, you know, you were talking about a speaker, but I was thinking when I saw authors on the list, um, the very nature of what they do is tell stories. Is, is, is the lesson there to edit more? It could be. It <laughs> dep- depends on the point that they want to make. Because uh, writing your story and telling your story is still very different. In writing your story, you're often painting a picture to draw the reader into that particular setting. And so you may share a lot more detail with it, but often, uh, depending on where the story is going, and if it's a, you know, depends on whether it's a narrative or not, story is shared differently. But a lot of times, uh, we can tend to become too wordy, and we lose, lose the listener in the detail. How do people tell their story differently than the way other people tell their story? And I'm talking about, like, you know, person A tells a story about person A and person B tells a story about person A. How are those two stories different? Um, a lot of times it's, it's different because it's perspective. We're sharing about this person based on through, through our set of glasses, through our eyes. And um, it can also depend on the level of relationship that we have, whether this is a close friend, whether this is just a contact, somebody we just met briefly. Um, so that, that can vary, yes. Linda, I have to take a break here, and I hope you'll stick around for a few minutes, and we'll get into this some more in the next segment, because I want to drill down on that uh, large audience, small audience point that you made. But I also want to talk about the subtitle of the book, which is Letting Go of the Past When It Won't Let Go of You. And I want to get into that a little bit. So can you stick around? Absolutely. That'd be great. My guest is Linda Olson, international Amazon bestseller of a new book called Transform Your Story, Letting Go of the Past When It Won't Let Go of You. If you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, our voices radio, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well.
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. In just a little while, you folks are going to have the pleasure not only hearing the songs of the star of the program and all, but you're also going to have the pleasure of hearing and watching and seeing in person the gentlemen and ladies who have been supplying the fine music behind the curtain this evening. It's a wonderful orchestra. I love to hear them play. But while you would possibly never even consider counting how many pieces there are in the band, it so happens there are about, I think, 26, 27 members of the orchestra, the stage orchestra here. The only thing is they used to play in Hollywood. And when they were there in Hollywood, California, there were a 65-piece orchestra. And when they were hired by the International Hotel to come here and play, they all got on the the bus, all 65 of them with their instruments and everything, and headed out for Las Vegas. The only thing was, when they crossed the Nevada state line, they had fruit inspection, and this is all slack. Here are some most happy fellas, the four lads for Ford. Standing on the corner, watching all the Fords go by. Standing on the corner, giving all the Fords the Thunderbird's 
This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with uh, international Amazon bestseller Linda Olson, talking about her new book, Transform Your Story. Uh, Linda, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Oh, absolutely. Just before the break, I was asking you about... Uh, uh, something I had, had mentioned in the uh, in, in your introduction at the beginning of the hour about uh, being the go-to story expert and helping authors, speakers, and entrepreneurs. And I was thinking of entrepreneurs when I asked the uh, last question about uh, uh, and you about how your story is different when you tell it or when somebody else tells it. And I was thinking specifically of entrepreneurs when I asked that question because very often there is a story about the launch of their business and where it came from and how it's grown. And it's often told by PR people and others, uh, people who introduce them at events and so on. And and uh, you said depended on the size of the audience. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, how is telling your story different say one-on-one or in a small group of of three to five people versus uh, getting up and telling your story in an auditorium? Well, that's a very good question. Often on a one-on-one, certainly, or a very small group of people, it becomes, um, I want to say, much more personal because you're sharing, you may not share, you know, your whole story. You might just share a little bit and somebody asks a question and that takes you deeper into your story. If you're sharing with a large group, you know, you've got your, you know what you're going to say and, you know, are sharing it all at once. But the key to whether regardless of the size of the group, the key to really drawing people in on a very, um, in a very personal way is that whole area of vulnerability. People want to know, they want to know that you identify with them, and so you need to share something that's basically ordinary, uh, that basically says, you know, I'm... I'm just like you, even though the circumstances may be totally different, but it's like, you know, I'm just a simple, ordinary guy, and, you know, this is where I grew up and so forth. But you don't want to stay there because, particularly if it's a large group or at a conference or whatever, then you want to take them to the things that you've learned and the expert in that whatever particular field it is where you are now. So it gives them reason to listen. You've drawn them in saying, I can connect with you, I can relate to you. Now I want, I want, an, I want to t- share with you that this is my expertise. And over maybe m- many years that you have learned these different skills and this is the reason that, if it's, say, a conference or something that brought you in, 
um, because they wanted you to share believing this is the kind of audience they draw in. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, Especially the point you made, and it's a very good one to maybe go back and underscore, that in telling your story to a large group, you want to condense it to highlights the path that got you to the expertise you've been asked to speak on. Yes. And and that makes a lot of sense to me. Where I get a little confused, and, and I think this is going to be a fun part of the conversation, is your book is titled Transform Your Story, and then it says letting go of the past when it won't let go of you. And I, I can't help thinking that, that telling your story is often a recitation of the past. <laughs> how do we how do we do both? Okay, that's and that's a very good question. I'm glad you asked it. It's one thing to share something about our past. It's another when we are still emotionally attached to our past where we're not able to let go of that. Because if we're emotionally attached we're still carrying that today, carrying the emotions of maybe the hurt, the anger, the shame, the guilt, whatever it may be. And when you that, say that, I think, of, I think of all the people who tell very nervous jokes about their exes. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, and you know what? And when they tell it and how they tell it, if somebody's very discerning with that, they can they can probably sense whether there's still a lot of hurt and anger and resentment tied into that. How do you let go of the past? And and how how is it that the past doesn't seem to want to let go of us? Well, let me let me respond to the latter part of that question first. So often it is um, the anger. For example, it may be we may be working at a particular place and got fired, and are you know feel like the situation was totally unfair. We didn't deserve this. We've been faithful there for many years, and on and on, and have been so angry that um, we decide to move. And the thing is, we can move all the way across the country, and get another job, things are going well, and all of a sudden in a month or two, there's a coworker or a boss or someone who reminds us exactly of the person that we were trying to get away from. Or very likely there was some damage done to our own self-confidence that follows us. Absolutely. And so it's that damage, it's that anger, it's that hurt that we still carry with us. And we know we just can't keep moving because that's obviously very costly. Um, So then it comes back to, well, what do we do? And the big answer to all of that is that we need to learn to forgive, come to a place, acknowledge our part in the situation, take responsibility for that, and forgive that individual. And that is usually the most, um, you know, most humbling 
kind of thing we can do, it's so hard to go there because it's our pride that steps in the way and says, well, wait a minute, I don't deserve that, and he doesn't deserve to be free. This is not about freeing the individual. It's about freeing yourself. And if we can come to that place and say, you know what, I know I was a good worker, I know I was faithful, but I also wasn't perfect. And there are obviously things that didn't meet his expectations. And in our own heart, it's it's often forgiving that individual, and maybe even more so, the hard part is often is forgiving ourselves, because we felt like it may be, have more to do with the expectation we put on ourselves that we had to perform to this um, unbelievable level, and um, and often. If someone is open to truly dealing with that, it often goes much deeper. And if somebody would ask the question and say, who did you have to perform for in your past? And very often that will go back to one or both parents. And we are now trying to perform in our job in the way we were trying to perform for our dad many years ago, and we still haven't forgiven him. How, so how that's much the story gets very deep. How much of our, our story is um, a, a, a way of... Um, how much of our story is cathartic, and how much of it is educational to the listener? I think there needs to be a a good balance with that. Again, the whole point is, what is the purpose in sharing your story? This is often uh, where uh, where we get um, confused. Because Because it's our story, we think it's all about us. But the purpose in sharing your story, this is with one-on-one, a small group, a large group, it doesn't matter what size group it is, the purpose for sharing our story is about connecting with them, coming alongside them, perhaps, you know, a problem or a challenge or a pain point that you recognize in them. And, And even at that point, you can ask them permission, of course, that's a, you know, in a small group or one-on-one, and say, you know, is it okay if I share a little bit about my story? And, of course, they're going to say yes. But if the purpose is really about them, this is their time. And so as you're asking permission, it's a way of showing respect. And as they say yes, then you briefly share just the point of the story that's going to acknowledge or come alongside their pain. Is there, I'm not sure how to ask this exact, exactly, Linda, but is there, uh, um, are there formulas in, in transforming a story, for example, um, how much should be pain versus joy, victory versus defeat, 
um, in, in coming to terms with things from our past, from our resume, from our personal histories? You know, I do use a, uh, you can call it a, a formula or basic guideline that I mentioned earlier that a basic story should be two minutes, no longer than three minutes. And that has to do with our attention spans because our attention spans are so short. But in that basic two-minute story, uh, if we can use the guideline or the formula and say that the, um, the, the basic ingredient of that is conflict. Every great story has conflict. And behind the conflict is a resolution. We want to know what happened how did, how, when was that transformation? Um, what was the positive result that came out of that? And then if we go back, um, the, the only other essential piece is the introduction. And the introduction really introduces the conflict. So it's introduction, conflict, resolution. And if we were using that basic formula or guideline, we would say in a two-minute story that the introduction is 25%, conflict is about 50%, and the resolution is 25%. So using that simple formula, it's amazing how we can take and hone in any, any big story and hone it in to... That small piece, once we have that down, we can share almost any story using that basic guideline. And, and you know, something clicked when you said, um, uh, and you said it earlier, but when you repeated, you know, about trying to hone a story down to about two minutes, and, and as, as we both talked about earlier, we come from families where storytelling, you know, was a real thing. And storytelling used to be a big thing. And, and people would tell these, these long tales with all kinds of little diversions and side trips. And, and the telling of the story was entertainment itself. Is the art of storytelling um, gone or, or at least has it been condensed to fit a modern attention span impacted by technology? I think we have lost a lot of that art of storytelling. And like you said, it, it used to be entertaining. It used to be, and there's still a time and place for it. But again, when you think about our attention spans today are so short, and through technology and through entertainment today and um, many other ways that, yeah, we, we truly have lost that art of storytelling. How did you get interested in the idea of how important a story is and, and how important telling your story is for you and for others? Well, that's the big question. <laughs> and <laughs> I was I, saving that, that one, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could tell. <laughs> You're building up to that. 
uh, <clears throat> that, of course, goes back to my own story. And uh, I will share it in a nutshell, and then you're welcome to ask whatever you want from that. But um, when I was 14 years of age, through a tractor accident, my precious two-year-old brother was killed. I was the one driving the tractor. And so you can only imagine um, the many questions you ask. Um, You know, my whole life was crushed. I didn't know if I'd ever see light at the end of the tunnel. And it was a few years, uh, not only a few years, but the first few years, my, uh, it was my first month in high school. That alone was a big adjustment for me. And so my high school years were almost an emotional blur. I mean, I did what I needed to do to put one foot in front of the other and just walk through this process the best I could. And many years later, I did get professional help and um, learned to forgive myself because I carried a very big load of guilt through all those years. And when I came to complete healing, for some reason the whole idea of story just took on a fresh new meaning. I mean, just prior to that, if someone would ask me, so what's your story, I probably would have said, I don't think I have a story. Well, and, and, that and was also, because I was still healing. To add a little context, I, I never did mention, and we didn't touch on it at all. You grew up on a farm. Yes, yes, a farm in Midwest Canada. Yes. Oh, a real farm. And so that alone <laughs> is a whole different lifestyle, often. <laughs> well, it, it is a different lifestyle, but um, it, it then becomes. Um, when there's such a huge tragedy like that, especially early in your life, um, and, and I guess I'm going to turn one of your questions back at you, um, what ultimately did you end up learning from not only that event, but the process of, of getting past it? Well, there were so many things I learned Uh, One of the big things, as I looked back, you know, when you're in it, you're just trying to make it through. But as I looked back, I recognized that there was somewhat of a pattern. And every time those negative emotions, I call them storms, um, whether it's fear or guilt or shame or loneliness or whatever it may be, whatever came up, I needed to identify what that was. And, I think, and often it's, well, I fear, I, I face, you know, I'm feeling a lot of fear, self-doubt, lack of confidence, you know, it can go on and on. But if you can name the best you can, the primary negative emotion, and then I knew I always had a choice. Would I run from it, avoid it, whatever way I choose, or would I learn to face it? And... For the most part, the best I could. Sometimes it was through lots of tears. Sometimes it was through journaling. Sometimes it was talking to a friend. And and like I said, eventually to a professional. Um, But just because you have a choice and decide the choice doesn't mean it happens. You still have to take action. And when I could take action and learn to just 
face that and say, this is not going to last forever, just to face whatever that pain is right then, it would free me up to move on to the next step. In a, in a process that can take sometimes many years, like has happened in your story, um, is there a eureka moment? Do you ever get a sense that, you know, that in some way you're free? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. For me, it was when I came to a place, and this was with um, when I was in professional counseling 15 years after the accident, that my counselor, she walked me through in slow motion that horrible, horrible day. And when I came to the end of that and recognized that I had not forgiven myself, and until that point, I, I mean, I just didn't even understand that, that I, that I needed to or that was what was going on. But she helped bring me to that place. And when I forgave myself, there was just this unbelievable emotional load that was lifted and I, I stepped into a whole new level of freedom I didn't even know was possible at that point. So certainly that was one of those moments. Linda, I, uh, I didn't mention in your introduction, and, and we hadn't gotten to it uh, during our conversation, we're getting close to the end, and I did want to mention that you are the founder of Wealth Through Stories, and... Um, I, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about and certainly more about you and your work. Um, the the book is Transform Your Story, Letting Go of the Past When It Won't Let Go of You by Linda Olson. But, um, Linda, do you have a website? Yes, I do. It's called wealththroughstories.com. And if someone wants to, of course, find out a little bit more about me and the work I do there. The other thing is also if someone would be interested in talking a little bit about their story or wanting help with their story, I offer a, uh, a free 20-minute story strategy session. And if they just go to wealththroughstories.com, they can sign up for that. Oh, wonderful. Well, Linda, thank you so much for... Uh spending this time with me this morning i really appreciate it best of luck with the book and uh all your other endeavors well thank you so much thank you for having me on it was my pleasure okay take care that was uh, linda olson she's uh, written a book called transform your story letting go of the past when it won't let go of you uh she is the go-to story expert who helps authors, speakers, and entrepreneurs impact millions with their story. She is a TEDx speaker, multiple best-selling author, and founder of Wealth Through Stories. Her mission to impact a million people, a million people a year through story. And uh, we'll have... Uh, Lots more of the Tom Sumner program coming straight ahead if you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 FM, Our Voices Radio in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise um, or do whatever they do when we go to uh, break. 
if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more right after this. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner Program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call 
happy. You take our Hoffman orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman study sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you. Could you be happy if your name were This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I went to see a, a play right here lately. It was one of them classical plays. And it was, uh, it was wrote by a fellow named William Shakespeare that lived over here in the old country here a while back. And it's a play, it's called Hamlet. And it was named after this young boy, Hamlet, that appeared in the play. And it was pretty good, except that they don't speak as good English as we do. <laughs> now, let's see, Hamlet, he, he lived... He lived in this castle over in the old country with his mama and daddy. You know where it was that his daddy was king over this land. And also living with him there was a fellow named Claudius. Now Claudius was Hamlet's uncle on his daddy's side. And before the play ever opened, this fellow Claudius plotted and killed Hamlet's daddy so that he might gain the throne and then married Hamlet's mama. And that made him Hamlet's stepdaddy. And, well, all do try to remember that if you can, because you will need it later on. <laughs> now, there was a fellow, Polonius, he lived there. He was a kind of advisor to the king. And there was a fellow named Horatio. He was Hamlet's buddy. He lived there. Then there was a girl named Ophelia that was visiting there. He, she was Hamlet's sweetheart that he had met at BYPU. <laughs> and... Uh, well, there's all, there's all kinds of maids and soldiers and stable boys and things like that that live there too, you know. And remember, before the play ever opens up, Hamlet's daddy's already dead. And when it, when it opens up, it opens up on these two soldiers that was a standing guard one night, and this ghost come up on them. And one, one, one of them says, one of them says, hark. Said, no, they said hark a whole lot back then. He said, he says, hark, what thing is this I see before me? And the other one says, let us flee and seek out young Hamlet, for behold, it bears a visage like unto his father. And it, it did, too. It looked just exactly like him. You, you couldn't have took a better picture uptown. And they, they were in the house to get Hamlet, but he had just come in from high school and was tired and had went on to bed. But anyhow, they told him about it, and he got on up and put his britches on and went on outdoors with them. And when he got there, the ghost started talking to him. Says, Behold, Hamlet, says, Look on me, for I am the ghost of thy father. Then it went on to tell him, you know, how it was that Claudius had plotted and killed him, you know, like I told you a while ago. Well, when he got on telling him, it made Hamlet swear to seek out vengeance on his former uncle and present stepdaddy, Claudius. And after Hamlet swore it, while the ghost went on off, and none of them ever seen it after that, and it, it was right there that Hamlet gave that soliloquy about being or not being. And, uh, well, for them that don't know, a soliloquy is a kind of a self-talk. You know, it is. Where you kindly, you know, sit and look away off and kindly talk to yourself. And that's what he was doing. Only he wasn't sitting down, he was walking. And when he, when he come close to the end of it, he come up on this young girl, Ophelia. 
And he says to himself, he says, soft, I see Ophelia fire. <laughs> well, he sat down and started talking to her. Asked her how she was and how her daddy was and how her mama was and different ones. And while he was talking, he looked and he seen a fella hiding behind a cedar chest. And he did, and he took out his sword and he run the fella. He run him upstairs and he run him downstairs. But he couldn't catch him and it made him mad and he come back to Ophelia, mad at her. And he hit her in the face and he throwed her on the ground. And he, he, he says, get thee to a nunnery. For thy face is a vile thing before my eyes. Now, it, it was right here that Hamlet first started acting like that he wasn't all that. <laughs> well, he... See... Well, see, he figured, he figured that the people that plotted and killed his daddy thought that he wasn't right in his mind. They'd talk around him, you know, but, but they didn't. One night he was up in his mama's room telling her good night. And he looked over there and he seen these curtains rustle just the least little bit. And he eased out his sword and he, he aged over to where it was the curtains was rustling. And he run the fella through. And the fella fell and he seen it was that fella Polonius that I told you about a while ago. <laughs> well, what he'd done, he picked him up and took him over and throwed him out this little window in this creek that run by. And none of them ever missed him after that. <laughs> And it was right after that that this carnival come through. Sideshow, show folks, you know. They come through and Hamlet had them to put on a show exactly the way that the murder of the king was committed. And let me tell you, when they got to the place in the play that the king was killed, Hamlet's stepdaddy got up out of his chair and he says, Hold. He says, Cease this wild carrying on and evil acting in the palace of the king. And he run them all out of the house. And it was right there that Hamlet first knew that he was going to have to get even with his stepdaddy for killing his daddy. And it was also right there that Hamlet's stepdaddy knew that he was going to have to get shut of that boy or he'd have trouble out of it. <laughs> well, what he'd done, what he'd done was the next day he put on a big sword fight between Hamlet and another fellow. And he, he give this other fellow a sword with a poison point on it. And he give Hamlet a plain sword, and he had a bowl full of poison wine for Hamlet to drink just in case he won the sword fight. Well, he put up his hands and he says, lay on. And they went to it, Hamlet back the fella, and he fellowed back Hamlet and back and forth like that for a while till pretty soon Hamlet got cut on the arm by that poison sword. And he commenced to weaken, but he fit harder than he ever did, and he kept backing the fella off and backing him off till he run him through. And the fella fell dead. And Hamlet went over to take a drink of that poison wine, and his mama, she knowed it was poison. She took it and drunk it herself, and she fell dead. And then Hamlet, with his last breath, went up to his stepdaddy and run him through, and the stepdaddy fell dead. And then Hamlet, he had done about all he could do, and he fell dead. <laughs> and it's a pretty good show. <laughs> and, and the moral of it is, though, I reckon, if you... If you was to ever kill a fella and then marry his wife, I'd be extra careful not to tell my stepson. <laughs>
I'd ever seen Dance right up to me She said, could I serve you please Would your coffee like some cream? Said I was drinking tea Give me some honey please She told me talk, talk louder Don't give me that mumble jive Said talk, talk louder Don't you give me that mumble jive I left that Coney Island And I'm sitting on Saginaw Street Prettiest motorist ever seen Pulled up beside of me She said, could you help me please? My engine's running red. Said I could cool her off, but it had to be in bed. She told me, talk, talk louder. Don't give me that mumble time. Said talk, talk louder. Now don't you give me that mumble time. I told her I'd get her some water, and I took off for the coast. I made it out to New York City. Bill Toll, a.k.a. Sweet Willie T, with a little talk louder. And before that, of course, uh, Andy Griffith in the Comedy Spotlight, one of the great storytellers of all time. And uh, all kind of just wrapping up the hour, which uh, I spent a good deal of with uh, writer and uh, speaker um, Linda Olson talking about her book, Transform Your Story. Uh, coming up next hour, we're going to have a uh, another storyteller, a journalist and, and author, who is uh, going to talk about his novel, Someone to Watch Over. William Schreiber is my guest in the third half of our three-hour tour. We're going to take a uh, short break for top-of-the-hour ID and so on, and then we'll uh, we'll get going again. But don't forget, tomorrow is uh, primary election day. You can... Uh, only vote for one party or the other um, the way primaries are set up. You can switch back and forth in the general, but uh, not in the primary. So if you have a ballot that was mailed to you, make sure you get it to your clerk today or tomorrow at the latest. 
Uh, if you're going to the polls, be sure and get there early and uh, vote early, vote often, as they say in Chicago. We'll be back with more right after this. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 